It's your Locked On Flyers podcast for Friday, February 10th, your daily dose of Flyers news analysis and high quality content that is really happy with that shootout win against the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, we all know it was gonna go we all knew it was gonna go this way. Sure, sure. We'll we'll get into that game as well as preview the matchup against the Nashville Predators with our locked on Predators friend and Kimmel all on today's show. Your Locked On Flyers, your daily podcast on the Philadelphia Flyers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, I am Rachel Donner. You can find me on Twitter at rmiriam. I'm here with Russ Cohen, who's on Twitter at Sportsology. And for this portion of the show, coming from the Wells Fargo Center. Thanks for making us your first listen each and every day. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Lockdown Flyers. That is where you'll keep up to date on all of our episodes and Flyers news. You can also email the show at LockedOnFlyers at Gmail. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Lockdown. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Lockdown today to get started. Locked on Flyers is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. So subscribe. You'll get all of our episodes here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Plus, we're over on YouTube, so uh, subscribe over there as well. Uh, Russ, just one quick bit of news to get into before we dig into the Oilers game. Uh, Linus Hogberg is going back to Sweden. Uh, they put him on wait. Yeah, it's a little sad. Yeah, yeah it, it is a shame because, you know, obviously he got a couple of games in last season uh, just with all the injuries that happened. Um, but for some reason, the Phantoms just couldn't find a place for him in the lineup. And uh, it just felt like he kind of got boxed out. And he's like, well, I guess I'm going to go home. then. Yeah, you know, again, this is part of what we were talking about. It's like some guys weren't getting enough ice time and you know it's great to have some of these veterans but now you just lost another young player and I don't think it's a massive loss right but it just shows what the problem is down there with that exactly exactly uh, we're going to continue to keep an eye on the playing time of our prospects in Lehigh Valley but in the meantime uh, looking at the Flyers end of things a two to one shootout win just as we predicted Yep. A couple things. I mean, Carter Hart, look, we kind of all knew it would either be a blowout or Carter Hart would would somehow play a great game. And it was probably his best game of the year, uh, even though he didn't have a shutout because it's against Edmonton and they were just, it was tremendous speed in that game. McDavid had a couple really good chances, uh, was very shocked that he lost the puck off his stick in the shootout. But, you know, you had in our notes, they weren't a good shootout team. And that's, you know, that was evident. Uh, but listen, the Flyers game plan, Noah Cates said it, you know, it was to stay out of the penalty box. We all kind of figured that's what it was. They did, and they that. did it. Yeah, they did it. They, so you got to give them tremendous credit for that again, though. I mean, there were a couple sequences in every period where Carter Hart had to just stand on his head. If he didn't, I think it would have been a different game. Um, Edmonton didn't think they played their best game. They knew that, but, uh, funny enough, Stuart Skinner, who, um, 
played against Carter Hart in juniors, also trains with him, and he says he's good friends with him, and he's kind of pissed off at him right now. So that's, <laughs> so that's pretty good stuff. So, yeah, I mean, this was the best crowd, you know, noise and interaction all season two. Yeah, uh, you mentioned, you know, in terms of the periods of time where Carter Hart had to make some key saves. I would say, though, that for the most part, the Flyers did a really good job of boxing out a lot of the top guys on Mm -hmm. Edmonton. And I think really in regulation, I would say limited Connor McDavid's chances to fewer high danger ones. And I think that Cam York and Noah Cates especially stood out with their defensive work in this game. I thought both of them did a really good job overall. And I only felt like the Flyers were getting bombarded and weren't like I wasn't totally confident in that stretch at the end of the third period of regulation. The rest yeah, of the time, yeah, twelve minutes to go, it was looking yeah. a little shaky there. I agree, but they did get through it. D'Angelo mm-hmm. made a big play in the third on McDavid. Uh, nobody saw that one coming, so that was good for him, especially after what Torts said about him today. So that clearly, yeah, uh, that got under his skin, and that's good. I mean, you know, for all the guys, this was not the game that they played against the Islanders. It wasn't. So they can play this game, and you wonder at times why they don't. Now, I will tell you this, which I found very interesting. Jim Jackson was saying uh, he had noticed that these games against the West, there seems to be more room out there for the Flyers. And then, if you notice, Frost did have a better game as a result. And some of the guys had better games. And apparently the East is outscoring the West this year, something like 40 goals when they – when they match up. So there is something to this. Now, Nashville's not going to live have that much room because they do play heavy defense. But again, uh Seattle will and and so they all seem to do it, not all, most. And it's interesting. It's interesting how the East is sort of um taking advantage of that. Yeah, it is, and we'll get more into that in the next segment when we talk about Nashville. But uh I I also will say that the Flyers did a much better job overall with their passing choices. I, I felt like there were some portions of the game, not the entire game. You know, of course, Edmonton did pick off some some passes throughout the game. Yeah. But I felt like they were trying to be a lot smarter because they knew that they didn't want the puck to wind up getting intercepted and go the other way. So they were being just really more, a lot more deliberate with what they were doing. Yeah, I think that's true. I saw Cam York make some good passes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there were some really good passes. And then, like, the puck would get in the offensive zone and then the Flyers would lose the puck. Like, that right. was a little frustrating to watch because there were some really good passes. I think you were right about that. Something else that both teams had to battle, that ice was bad. I mean, guys were losing their edge. The puck was bouncing around like crazy in overtime. Like, it's just nuts. I mean, that was maybe the worst ice we had seen all year. Interesting. Yeah, I I couldn't really tell as much on the broadcast, but maybe in person it was a lot more evident. Well, you did Uh, see guys falling down and losing their edge. Like, there were two or three. 
Yeah, it was just hard to tell that it was the ice that was the problem, specifically. Uh, One other thing about the game that I thought was interesting relative to what we talked about when we previewed it yesterday is face-offs, because Uh the Flyers actually came out on top in face-offs in this game. And I know Noah Cates had a real struggle with it because he was up against McDavid, and he got um, pulled from taking the face-offs for a little bit of of, I would say the second or third period, but yeah. uh, Morgan Frost had a really good night at the dot. And then, you know, like I said, the the Flyers were up overall over Edmonton, which was a bit of a surprise as well. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. I was happy for Frost and the shootout. That was a nice thing that fired up the crowd. Uh, yeah. I mean, this was a game where all the things Torts preached previously to the Islander game that weren't all employed were employed in this one. And that's the crazy part about this team because they are Jekyll and Hyde at times. Right. And sometimes, you know, like, you know, Kevin Hayes, all of a sudden he did shoot and he gets a goal. Like, it's just, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, it was a great the, shot. It was. But I mean, but he hasn't been shooting a lot. Like, mm-hmm. that's basically the point. Uh, I think the Travis Konechny is still really frustrated. Even in the shootout, you can see, like, he's really fighting it. It's, you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of rough. Uh, Travis Sanheim, though, did talk in between periods. So um, in between periods, he mentioned how he had to keep moving his feet, playing better on the rush. And that did improve during this game. He has it in him and he is from, you know, Western Canada. So maybe again, playing Edmonton, he felt that little extra drive, but we need to see more of that because he has it in him. I I think so too. And and he did have uh, a couple of really good sequences and times when he carried the puck as well so we'll look to see more from all those guys when we face nashville and the seattle kraken this weekend we're going to talk to our friend ann kimmel from locked on predators about the nashville matchup coming up next today's episode is brought to you by fanduel this year the only app you need at the super bowl party is fanduel america's number one sports book we're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. I still like betting on the tight ends. It was plus one at 900 at one time on FanDuel. Even if it's less than that, these are two really good tight ends. This is for winning the MVP, so I I, kind of like that still. You can win a lot. Anyhow, the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. The Flyers are playing a couple of tough teams this weekend. The first one is the Nashville Predators, and we are so thrilled to welcome from Locked On Predators, our good friend, Ann Kimmel. Hey, everybody. How are you? Good. Good. I should also mention that Anne is a writer for InsideThePreds.com, so she's got that team very well covered all season long. 
Uh, Anne, we haven't seen Nashville since the very beginning of the season. It feels like years ago at this point uh, when the Flyers won that game three to one. It was in the Carter Hart saves our team every single game era of this season. But since then, how has the Preds season gone versus the expectations that you had back then? Wow. The only way I know how to describe the Predators season right now is to use the word inconsistency. I would love to be able to tell you how the season has unfolded and what it's going to look like down the stretch, but the true answer is we have no idea. We have glimpses of the Nashville Predators where we look like this is a team that is competing well against playoff caliber teams. This is a team that could make a run into the playoffs despite a rough start. And then we have other games where it looks like the Nashville Predators are at a crossroad where they are absolutely going to have to tear things down and start a rebuild. So it's really hard to tell you how the season has unfolded because even though it's February, we're still trying to figure out how this season is unfolding. It's been up and down. You talked about a possible teardown and they did have a little bit of a teardown early with Ily Tovin in which they now regret. Uh, let me know, give me an idea of why you felt like they did that. Did they give him a chance? Because again, he's only 23 and he was always going to score a certain amount of goals. So I didn't understand it then and I definitely don't understand it now. You are uh, joining a large community in Nashville that has a lot of questions about this move even now. I can tell you what General Manager David Poyle has said. He said he feels like they really gave Ellie Tolvanen a lot of opportunity. He spent all of last season in Nashville. He spent a lot of time up on the second line. They had tried to kind of plug him in in different places did not find a ton of success. That second line was probably one of Nashville's biggest challenges last season. They just could not generate any offense. And part of that was Ellie Tolvanen. Part of that was Luke Cunning. Just the three of them with Ryan Johansson just could not get anything going all season long. So I think that definitely hurt Tolvanen's future here in Nashville. When he was placed on waivers, David Poyle will say they thought Ellie Tolvanen would clear waivers. A lot of us in Nashville yeah, find that very hard to I, believe. I find that hard but, to believe. The other thing I want to point mm-hmm. out is, so, you know, initially back in 2020, 21, uh, when they thought better of him, he would get 1448 of ice time, right? And he had his 11 goals. Then mm-hmm. what yeah. you're saying, you know, for for last year is, you know, he had um, 1326. But this year, 1249. So it's like David Poyle can say he gave them opportunity. I don't think it was great opportunity. I'll just be honest. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people in Nashville that would absolutely agree with you. You know, they just could not or did not find a place where he really was going to thrive. And I wonder too, part of that is he didn't really get a ton of opportunity on the power play. And if you look... If you look at him in Seattle, so much success is happening for him on special teams. So David Poyle says they were hopeful that he would clear. He did make it quite a ways through the waiver list until Seattle claimed him. It has been and continues to be a real sticking point for the Nashville Predators fan base that they lost Ellie Tolvanen. You know, this was a huge pick for the Predators. This is a, a young player you know, very early, like you said, in his career that the Predators lost Mm -hmm. for nothing. 
That's a first round pick that you lost for nothing. So the Ellie Tolvanen issue is something that I think may come back to bite David Poyle a lot further down the line. It's definitely an issue that the Nashville Predators fan base is not over and may not get over when it comes to David Poyle. Yeah, I can imagine it was definitely a tough loss for the team. Uh, looking at more recent action from the Preds, you know, they had three real solid wins versus playoff level competition going into their break, but then just got thwacked by Vegas. Like, what do you think the difference was between those three wins and then that loss to Vegas? Well, prior to the three wins, one of the things that the team and head coach John Hines gave a lot of credit to was sort of a mental reset. The team had what they called a closed door meeting. It was uh, player led, but but coaches and staff were in there as well. And it was what they referred to as a very honest uncomfortable conversation. And a lot of the core players, including Ryan Johansson, is one who was sort of called out as being somebody who stood up, was very vulnerable, was very honest. And they all challenged, I think, each other. You know, we've got to do better. We can all do better. And the result of that were those three great games where the Predators beat the LA Kings, they beat the New Jersey Devils and the Winnipeg Jets. And they did so playing 60 great minutes of hockey. So Predators fans are thinking, mental reset, three big wins, we've turned the page, then we hit the all-star break. Predators are notorious for coming out of breaks with a little hitch in the giddy-up, as we like to say. And you saw that against Vegas. You know, the team just did not execute well. They they wouldn't say that it was a mental thing. They wouldn't say that it was, you know, we were all kind of still on break mentally. They were very careful not to blame it on that or use that as an excuse, but it definitely was a jolt for, I think the team and for the fan base, you know, we went into the break thinking the predators have turned a corner. We've been waiting for a corner to be turned all season. And we thought it had, and you come back and a five, one loss to Vegas. And that was a game where the Nashville predators through 50 minutes of hockey had six shots on goal. That's it. Six shots. So it was a really bad game. So I will say, you know, as the Predators head into Philadelphia, which we've had three days off in between that game and facing the Flyers, hopefully the Predators will come out in Philadelphia with a lot better execution and maybe in a better mental space because that was as big an egg as I think the Predators have laid in a long time. Well, before I go with my Bigger question, how do they play during day games? Are they a team that starts well in day games? Because the Flyers generally don't. It's bad. It's bad. That makes me feel a little bit better because it's gone both ways for the Nashville Predators. Okay. Uh, it's one. It's another one of those Predators things. I, I really can't tell you which way it's going to go. Right, right. Okay. So something that's been very consistent with the Predators. Sorry, this is going to be bad. Um, Nashville is at 2.78 goals per game, seven worse than the NHL. The Flyers are at 2.75. Nashville always has trouble scoring goals. Why do they continue to still have trouble scoring goals in your estimation? I know if they could figure it out, they would. They haven't really been able to solve this. Yeah, they really haven't. I think they've done better since December. Since December 19th, their statistics have improved dramatically. And I think what has happened there is that they have landed on line combinations that are starting to work. If you look back from you know the beginning of the season, 
through mid-December, John Hines was still trying to figure out these line combinations that were really working, and the Predators could not score goals. Like a two. Does that worry you when a coach like that far into a season has that problem? It worries me more. We go back and forth about this a lot in the Lockdown Predators podcast. Is it on the coach or is it on the players? And I'm worried all the way around. They have done better. They've sort of found some combinations. Young Cody Glass is now centering Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne, and that has seemed to be a good improvement. But it still is an issue where we don't have consistent goal scorers. Philip Forsberg is probably our most consistent goal scorer. Nino Niederreiter out of the gate in October, great, great goal scoring. Been in such a dry spell. Same thing, Tanner Janot went almost two months with no goals. So it is a concern. And consistency, again, is a problem with the Predators. The individual players are struggling with consistency and scoring. And it definitely is going to be an issue that's either going to make or break any chance they have of getting into the postseason. So given all that, do you think that there'll be any adjustments that they'll make from the lines that they put up uh, against Vegas to what they do against the Flyers, especially knowing that the Flyers are a very defensive minded team and, and have those structures in place? My guess is that John Hines is going to keep things the same and give it another chance. Of he course. Generally Don't you love coaches red- that keep it the same? Let's just keep <laughs> it the same. I will- Keep it the same. It'll be fine. He, I will say this. In general, I think John Hines is quicker to switch up lines than, say, Peter Laviolette was before. Um, we call it the line blender. And he has been pretty quick to do that. I'm guessing when uh, the Predators take the ice on Saturday afternoon against the Flyers, I think you're going to see similar lineup. I don't think he's going to mix it up too much just to give them a chance um, because that Vegas game came off of a break, and I think he's going to give them a chance to see if they can kind of snap out of it. If that does not improve against Philadelphia, if the Predators struggle to get shots on goal like they did, I think in the next week or so, we're going to see a lot of line changes. So what do you think about Dante Fabro's play this year? It's interesting because I remember about a year ago, I was hearing that, eh, they're not loving his play. And I felt like that probably meant defensively, but you know, he was putting up a decent amount of points. Now he seems to be better defensively. And of course it hurts the points. So do you think he's playing more of the game that they want, but then it's taken away from his offense or he's just not having a good season. Like, what do you, what do you think? Dante Fabro is a real tricky one. He is good on defense. I would say he is solid on defense, but like you said, offensively, not quite the same player. The defense in general for the Predators has been tricky this year. We lost Mark Borowiecki very early, and so that has adjusted some things. And Dante Fabro is one whose name almost is consistently whispered as a trade piece. So my guess is that the Predators aren't as high on him as they are, say, on defenseman Alexander Carrier. Mm-hmm. So I I think the Predators are not as high on Fabro as they had been, say, two seasons ago. It would not surprise me if the Predators make a move, if it would involve Dante Fabro, because I think at this point they are more invested in Alexander Carrier, and they're going to have to re-sign one or the other of them. They're not going to have enough money, I don't think, to sign them both. And I think Alexander Carrier partnered with Matias Ekholm is where their money and kind of their belief is. So Dante Fabro, maybe no fault of his own, I think has maybe fallen out of favor a little bit more. 
Yeah, so that leads us into the approaching trade deadline. And what do you think the Predators are looking to do, given how precarious their playoff positioning is right now? I can tell you with 100% certainty that I have absolutely no idea. And I will say <laughs> that I'm willing to bet that David Poyle still isn't 100% sure what he's going to do. I think you're going to see over the next maybe five, six, seven games, Whatever the Nashville Predators do is going to determine not only their action at the trade deadline, but it's going to determine the next two or three seasons for this team. If the Predators can get on a roll, if they can look like the team that performed well before the All-Star break, I can see David Poyle maybe making some small moves, perhaps bringing in a smaller piece. He's not one for a big move at the trade deadline, unless... In the next five, six, seven games, you see the Nashville Predators crash and burn. And at that point, I wouldn't be surprised to see David Poyle say, we're going to be sellers. We're going to try to get some cap space. We're going to try right. to get some picks and prospects because in the next two to three years, we're going to break up this extended core and we're going to start with a youth movement in a rebuild. So I would be much better equipped to answer that question in about two weeks. You really think they're going to do a rebuild? And if you do think they're going to do a rebuild, do you think David Poyle will be the team president and they'll, and they'll change something up in the GM office at that point? Great question. Um, I think David Poyle has tweaked this core and tweaked this core and tweaked this core since the 2017 Cup run, 2018 President's Cup. I think the feeling is if they aren't all in and going for it this season, it's going to be kind of called. Whether David Poyle is going to be at the reins when that happens is a great question. If you pulled the Nashville Predators fan base, a lot of people would say, let's start fresh. They would like to see somebody else come in and do that rebuild. But the ownership Whether likes them. And that's why I still think ownership. Yeah. Yeah. Ownership likes him. And right. look, you can say what you want. A lot of people are frustrated. The Ellie Tolvanen was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back among the fan base with David Poyle. He is still the winningest GM in the NHL. Right. So, and, and the ownership group still likes him. So, you know, the fans may not like it. I can see David Poyle being here. I don't think he is ready to retire. And I'm not sure the ownership group is ready to force that either. It's always tough. Uh, that's something our teams have in common with some GMs that are under the microscope right now. Uh, speaking of Tolvanen, I'm glad we've talked about him uh, so far because, you know, he did get picked up by the Seattle Kraken, who happens to be the opponent for the Flyers the very next day after the Flyers face the Predators. It's two afternoon games back to back, oh, which wow. is great for the Flyers. <laughs> So given that, you know, you're in a position where the Preds have already played the Kraken, you know Tolvanen well, uh, any intel on the Kraken for us for that game? You know what? The Seattle Kraken are one of the most fascinating teams to me this season. Came out of nowhere. Who would have thunk it? As far as Ellie Tolvanen goes, watch that shot. If you see him in the right circle, buckle up, Buttercup, because he's going to shoot that shot. Um, and and unlike the Nashville Predators against Vegas, nine times out of ten, he's going to make that shot. <laughs> so Ellie Tolvanen, if he gets in that kind of Alex Ovechkin zone, uh, definitely a threat. And keep an eye on him on the power play. Man, 
I will tell you the Nashville Predators Twitter sphere keeps track of Ellie Tolvanen's scoring as much as they do anybody else on the Nashville Predators roster. So we all know he is lighting it up in Seattle. Best of luck to you all. That's a fun little back to back. Indeed. And thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you and the show? Um, you can find my work online at insidethepreds.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Ann K underscore Mama on Ice. And you can find Locked on Predators anywhere you find your podcast and on YouTube. And we're on Twitter at LO underscore Predators. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ann. Thanks. Thanks. Once again, thank you to Ann Kimmel for joining us to talk about the Preds and a little bit of Kraken talk there, too. Uh, We'll see how this back-to-back treats the Flyers this weekend. Also this weekend, you may have heard that the Eagles are playing in a football (laughs) game of some importance. So our Flyers fun thing for the show is uh, they they got the football out, Russ, and was throwing it around on the ice in Flyers practice the other day. And uh, it was absolutely delightful. I can tell you that uh, at the stadium series when we were doing interviews, they had some Eagles there and they had some Flyers there when this is a couple of years ago when they played at the link and Travis Konecki had a football. And if you go to my Instagram page at Sportsology and you find the video, you'll see that Konecki threw an errant ball that almost hit somebody. And that was pretty funny. Oh so God. I don't know if I would trust Travis Konecki with a football. Just saying. All right. Keep that in mind. Uh, So go birds. We're hoping that on Monday, not only are we talking about uh, some back-to-back wins for the Flyers, but we can be celebrating the Eagles Super Bowl victory there. Are we both hoping that? I don't know if we're both hoping that. We are both hoping hoping that, Russ. No, I don't know if we're both hoping (laughs) that. I think one of us is hoping that. Well, we will be back with our uh, game analysis from the weekend, our nemesis of the week. If you want to ask ask us any questions, you can email us at LockedOnFlyers at Gmail, tweet us at LockedOnFlyers, or you can comment over on YouTube. I'm Rachel. I'm on Twitter at rmiriam. That's R-M-I-R-I-A-M. I'm Russ. I'm at Sportsology, S-P-O-R-T-S-O-L-O-G-Y. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend, everybody.